Memphis, Tennessee. It's known as the home of the blues and the birthplace of rock and roll. What's the first thing you think of when you hear Memphis? Probably Elvis Presley. Oh, sure. Tourists from all over the world come here every year for Elvis Week. Uh, there's lots of business and stuff going on here in Memphis. Uh, FedEx, for instance, uh, it has its world headquarters here. Um, what else? We have St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital. That's another big draw. People bring their children in from all over to get treated there. You know, one interesting tidbit that I really liked was that according to Billboard magazine, Memphis is mentioned in songs more than any other place in the world. I thought that was, you know, really surprising. I would have thought it had been something more glamorous, New York, Paris, but no, it's Memphis. There's a lot of talent coming from here as well. There's many famous actors and musicians. Two of my favorites are Morgan Freeman and Kathy Bates. They're from here. And we got a lot of musical talent as well. We got Aretha Franklin, Justin Timberlake, B.B. King. Yeah, tons, tons of great musical influences come from here. But you know what my favorite thing about Memphis is? What? The food. It's the pork barbecue capital of the world. So sorry, Texas and any Texas listeners. I do think beef brisket is great, but I don't think you can beat Memphis barbecue. So from an outside point of view, Memphis looks like it's got a lot going on, right? You know, it seems like it's this mecca, this uh, mecca of commerce and talent. But Memphis has a dark side as well. Yeah, Memphis ranks actually among the most dangerous cities in America. You could say that violence is just as much a part of its identity as blues music and barbecue. By the end of 2020, the city of Memphis reported over 330 homicides. That is a crazy statistic. That means it's almost one person murdered every day. And today we're going to focus on a case that's gone unsolved for over 30 years. The murder of Nancy Little and her full-term but unborn baby. Hi, I'm Kelly. And I'm Jeremy. Welcome to Southern Fried Homicide. We're siblings who grew up in Memphis, and sadly, we're used to seeing almost daily news reports about violence, drive-by shootings, murders, all sorts of terrible stuff. Yeah, you almost become desensitized to it. Sometimes when watching the news, it feels like the first half of the broadcast is just talking about violent crime in the city. Right. And when we were looking to bring attention to a local cold case, we definitely had a lot that we could choose from. However, the murder of Nancy Little in 1989, it definitely struck a nerve with both of us, not only because of how she was murdered and the unusual way she was found, but also the really tragic circumstances and that she was due to give birth in just a week. Yeah, and rather than retelling just what's already been in the media, we've actually investigated this case. We've spoken to several of her family members, uh, her friends, even the Memphis Police Department. We really wanted to get to know Nancy Little. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about Nancy? Sure. She was born in Memphis in January of 1957, and she came from a large family with four brothers and two sisters. You know, growing up, just the two of us as the only kids in the house, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to have had that many siblings, you know? It had to have been a really loud, happy, loving household. And she was the youngest of the girls, so I'm pretty sure she got some kind of... Favoritism. Yeah, some kind of special attention, I'm sure. Her favorite color was red, and that was actually, you know, a nickname that her father called her growing up. I thought that was kind of sweet. She enjoyed listening to a lot of really great music, from the Jacksons to Patti LaBelle, Luther Vandross. Great taste. One thing she loved doing was going to the Mid-South Fair every year. And I know, for some of you not familiar with that, that may not seem like that big of a deal, but 
It was, wasn't it, right? You used to get a day out of school just to go to the fair. Yeah, it was an event. So it was something people would look forward to. She loved typical Southern food. She liked greens and mac and cheese and yams and fried chicken and all that mm, delicious artery-clogging stuff that I love as well. And apparently her mother made this fabulous German chocolate cake that that was her favorite. She graduated from Hamilton High School in 1975, which is about four miles north of Graceland. So that's just a little bit about her. Yeah, and I actually went to the main library and checked out her high school yearbook to you know get to know Nancy a little bit more and about her school. I was really impressed with her school. There was about 1,400 students there when she graduated, and this was a vocational school. So they taught classes like upholstery, uh, metalworking, tailoring, mm. all kinds of practical skills that my high school definitely didn't no, have. No, I really wish that mine had. I think I could have benefited from that a little bit more than... Freak out. You know? <laughs> right. But that's awesome. Um, one of one of the pages in the yearbook uh, showed a picture of Nancy. She was taking a classmate's pulse. So she must have been somewhat mm. interested in the medical field. Wow. I think that's kind of telling about her personality. You have to have a lot of compassion and concern to be interested in maybe going into the medical field. So that's interesting. Uh, more about her. We talked to one of Nancy's sisters and some other things she enjoyed. She liked to play volleyball. She liked to roller skate as a teenager. That was a big deal, too, much like the fair, right? It was a big social activity. Yeah, back in the day, everybody would meet up at the roller skating rink. Yeah, I'm sure that was a lot of fun. She she also liked to sew, and she loved to read. So I can relate to her there. I'm, I, I love to read as well. Later on, Nancy went on to attend the University of Memphis, or as it was known when she went, Memphis State University. And she was pursuing a degree in special education, just like her sister Jackie. She did this while working the second shift at the bulk mail center on Elvis Presley Boulevard. So I thought I was impressed with that, you know, putting her going through school, working a job. I thought, wow, that's pretty, pretty great. That's hard work. She was also a really just I thought she was a really beautiful lady. She was tall. She's almost six feet tall. And she liked to model on occasion. Yeah, she was very pretty. When I was looking at her high school yearbook, I was going through the pages, looking at the class superlatives. And when I got to the most attractive section, I was really expecting to see mm-hmm. Nancy there. But I saw Diane Powers, um, and I thought that Nancy got <laughs> robbed. Sorry, Diane. Yeah, sorry if you're listening to that. But she did list in her yearbook that her ambition was to be a model. And I noticed that she was a member of this group or this club in high school called the Modelettes. And I'm not exactly sure what that entails, but it must be something to do with modeling. Yeah, maybe just a modeling club. But I do remember one of her sisters also told us that she was involved in a a debutante program. Definitely not something I did. But I know debutante programs, they teach you young girls' confidence, good manners, I don't know, maybe they would have taught some modeling, I'm not sure. We also learned from talking with her family that at one point she was interested in becoming a flight attendant, but unfortunately she would get nauseous on flights, and so her mother, Annie, discouraged her from pursuing that as a career. And when we talked to her friends and family, I jotted down some of the adjectives that they used to describe Nancy. Some of them were punctual, intelligent, cautious, organized, systematic, quiet, sweet, and sensitive. But... So many people described her as being a homebody. She did not like to go out to the clubs uh, with her friends. She'd rather stay home and go to bed early. And actually, one of her friends, Yolanda, that you spoke to, Mm -hmm. said that as growing up, we all used to kid her about it. We'd say Nancy would always get her sleep. (laughs) She loved being at home with her mom, Annie. But eventually, she did move out on her own into an apartment in Whitehaven, which 
Whitehaven is a community in the southern part of Memphis, near the state line of Memphis. Um, we're actually Tennessee, Tennessee and Mississippi. Mississippi. Yeah. The apartment complex is about 15 minutes from her job there at the Bulk Mail Center. And the apartments had the typical amenities, you know, a pool and a gym. But what was neat, I thought, was that it had a really nice playground area around and also near a lake. Mm-hmm. So not only did she move into this apartment complex, but she also bought a new car. She bought a white 1988 four-door Honda Accord. Yeah, and again, going back to those adjectives and then hearing about um, this new apartment, her new car, she really sounded like a planner. You know, she sounded mm-hmm. like somebody who was meticulous, who had goals for herself. And so when I heard that, you know, she'd moved out, had this apartment, got her car, it sounded like she was starting a new chapter of her life when she left her mom. Um, part of this new chapter was she and a coworker at the Bulk Mail Center they developed a romantic relationship, and as a result, she became pregnant. According to our sister Jackie, Nancy had always talked about wanting children, and as she became further along in her pregnancy, she got really, really excited. Like she was, she was super looking forward to it. She wasn't sure, however, if the baby's father would take parental and financial responsibility for the baby, but she was prepared to take that on, you know, all alone. Another indication to me about how responsible she was and what a planner. She was ready. She was wanting to do this. She'd actually already started to decorate a room for the baby in her apartment, and she'd even picked out two names. So if it was going to be a boy, she was going to name him Brandon. And if it was a girl, she was going to name her Brandy. So I thought that was that was really sweet, you know? According to the newspaper article in 1989 that we read, she'd even set up a trust fund for the baby, according to her mother, Annie. That, to me, like... That's above and beyond. I don't know too many people. The epitome of being a planner. Exactly. So, that article we read in 89, it really reflected how our friends and family described her. She was a planner and she was prepared. And she'd already begun her maternity leave and she was planning to stay with one of her sisters who lived closer to the hospital at near Baptist East Hospital. She didn't want to take any chances when it came time to have the baby. She wanted to be right there Mm -hmm. nearby the hospital. However, on Sunday, October the 8th, 1989, 32-year-old Nancy was at her apartment. She called her mother, Annie, and told her that she was in for the night. The next day, however, she was supposed to pick up her mom from work at 2 o'clock, but she didn't. She did not show up. Just four hours later, she was discovered in her car um, by children playing in the neighborhood about a mile away from her apartment. I I mean, I would hate for anybody to have to find her the way that they did but i really hate that it was children right. i mean i feel like that would have been so traumatizing for them and it's odd how she was found as well she was found face down in the passenger seat or the passenger side of her own car someone had assaulted her by strangulation and left her in the car mm. and back in 1989 the original detective lieutenant douglas described her manner of death as baffling which it is. She's yeah. face down in the passenger side of her own car right? with her pregnant belly. On the seat. And then her legs, you know. Her back. legs were behind her, like on the headrest, I think they said. And her head was like in the, what's it called? Floorboard. Floorboard, yeah. So super strange position for sure. We attempted to get a copy of the police report, but since it's still an open investigation, we weren't able to. However... We were able to obtain a copy of the autopsy report, which is of public record. And it did notice, um, it did note five injuries. 
So the first one was she had a contusion on her chest wall. She had an incision on her forehead. There were abrasions on her face and the back of her neck. She had bruising on her left arm and chest area. And then there was a rib fracture on her left 10th rib. So we we had a nurse friend of ours look at this autopsy for us and, you know, try and shed a little bit more light on it, explain it to us. And she told us that to her, it seemed like that the killer was probably most likely right-handed because most of Nancy's injuries were on the left side of her body. So that makes sense. And the autopsy also said that the death was the result of asphyxia. The presence of injuries to the body are minor, but represent a reflection of an unknown mechanism of asphyxia. And then... Interesting, unrelated side point is the medical examiner, Dr. Jerry Francisco. He's the same guy that performed the autopsies for Dr. Dr. Martin Luther King Mm. and Elvis Presley. So he was well-known, well-respected, but even he couldn't really determine the cause of death. He said it was an unknown mechanism. I feel like he would have been very well respected and would have known what he was doing to handle such profile, high-profile cases. So if even he didn't really 100% know, that's pretty strange goes to the prior detective saying it was baffling right and and it definitely was something else nancy's case made it on the front page of the newspaper the memphis newspaper the commercial appeal a month after her murder in 1989 this is just a total side point but i can't wrap my head around that you know because we live in 2021 and we get news just instantly instantly snapping your finger so for it to take a whole month um to be in the paper to me is just strange a little strange um both police and family said in that article that she didn't know anyone in the neighborhood where she was found and had no reason to be there you and i we actually went to her apartment complex and then we drove to the location where she was found in her car and i mean it was nothing it was what like two minutes two minutes yeah nothing at all so fast as soon as you exit the apartment complex you turn left. The neighborhood where her car was found is just on the left, maybe a street or two down. And I thought I, it's a really nice neighborhood to this day. So I can only imagine it must have been even nicer back in 1989. Her car was just abandoned there. It was left parked in front of the first house on Slate Road. Um, the police confirmed that she was wearing a striped blouse and overalls, as if she had intentionally left the house from her apartment. So she wasn't, you know, undressed. She wasn't in her pajamas. She was dressed for to go out. Uh, her sister Hazel was quoted as saying, she would not have come out of her house for anyone she did not know. And her friends and her family, they have said that it was definitely unusual for her to leave her house at night. Right. Everybody described her as being a homebody. Right. Who wanted to get her sleep. So, you know, she she said, her sister Hazel, Hazel said that Nancy would made it very clear to her mother, Annie, that she was in for the night. When she talked to her mom, she's like, God, that's, that's it. You know, and I think they all expected her to just go to bed. So her intentions were clear. She was staying home. And she was so methodical and systematic and, you know, routine. I think that, you know, something or someone had to have lured her out of the apartment. The newspaper article slipped in one sentence that just said the police ruled out robbery as a motive, which I thought was interesting. They didn't elaborate on it. But as we've investigated further, we've learned that the keys to her car were still in the ignition and the doors to the car were Mm -hmm. unlocked. And we also asked the police, you know, where was her purse? 
They said that it was in the front passenger seat of the car where Nancy was found. That's super interesting. So they definitely didn't want anything of hers. So we're left with all these questions now. Who would do this to a pregnant woman, especially one so close to giving birth? I mean, you have to be extremely heartless to do that. And what would their motive have been if it wasn't robbery? And then what else? Was she murdered in her car or elsewhere and then placed in her car? And then I'd like to know who was the last person to actually see Nancy. Right. We've spoken to the Memphis Police Department's cold case homicide unit several times throughout Mm -hmm. our investigation of this case. And they've been extremely cooperative with us. They said, according to their reports, uh, Nancy was at her mom's house until about 6 p.m. on Sunday, October the 8th, the night before she was found. They also said that their records showed no telephone calls or they didn't have telephone Mm -hmm. records in their case file and no known beeper or pager. So unfortunately, they don't know who she was last in contact with after she spoke to her mom that Sunday evening. I can't wrap my head around that either, not having telephone records. You know, it's just It seems like it would be standard protocol for them to do that. Right. At least from all the... You know, true crime shows that, right. that I've seen, but maybe in 1989 that wasn't something maybe they, they didn't, or maybe they did have it, and then over time something has happened to those records. I right. don't know, but it's still it's cr- crazy to think about that they didn't have telephone records. Um, in addition to the MPD being so helpful, we've also spoken to to Nancy's siblings, her family. We've gotten to know her through them, Perry, James, Jackie, and Hazel. They have just been so lovely, so helpful. You know, just very, very kind to us. They have so many unanswered questions, and they have been suffering for 30 years. Just, I feel my heart goes out to them. When speaking to them, one family member felt that it's possible maybe she was assaulted in her apartment. So you and I, we asked the police about this possibility, and they said that there were no notes mentioning anything about her apartment. So that kind of goes along with what you mentioned earlier about robbery being ruled out. So in other words, there was they nothing. Didn't, yeah, nothing unusual, nothing in disarray in her apartment. And when we drove to her apartment, we noticed that it was number eight. And it was upstairs on the second level. And I've lived in an apartment and those walls are paper thin. You hear everything. You see everything. There's all these nosy neighbors. It seems highly unlikely to me that there would have been an altercation or that she could have been hurt there without somebody hearing something or saying something or, hey, they're dragging that lady down the stairs, they're fighting. I just, I feel like that would have been impossible with for that to happen without being noticed. Right. And we asked the police if they had thought she was murdered somewhere else and then put in her car. They said, and I quote, there is no information or evidence that indicates that Nancy died anywhere ex- anywhere else except inside the vehicle that she was found in. So that's super interesting as well, you know. So nothing going on, nothing unusual in the apartment. We're left with all these other questions again. Who who would do this to her? Family and the, and the Memphis police feel like the suspect has to be someone Nancy knew, someone that she trusted. So who in her inner circle would be evil enough heartless enough to kill a woman who was due to give birth in just one week. Join us next episode to find out more about Nancy and her inner circle.